James Corbett, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure to be here. First thing I wanted to ask, okay, I think I, I don't believe I have to give my audience an introduction as to who you are. I think everybody knows uh, James Corbett show. You do amazing work. I think that if you never did anything about uh, except your big oil documentary, you probably contributed more to American history and exposing American history than anyone out there. So <laughs> anyone who's teaching in a university or anywhere. So um, I'm going to link to that. I'm going to link to your channel. I think it's just invaluable um, reporting. So, but what I wanted to start with is you're, you're in Japan. We've heard that the numbers in Japan are lower than anywhere else that Japan's not even taking this as a pandemic. What's going on there? Well, uh, so I did a video, uh, last week that, uh, people might want to check out. Uh, it's called, uh, how is Japan reacting to the crisis? And in that video, I showed people precisely what is happening on the streets of, t of Japan, at least at that point uh, about a week or so ago. And, uh, basically the point of that was to say, yeah, Japan is not freaking out about this crisis or whatever it is that's unfolding and i showed that everyone's going about their day-to-day -day business there's no social distancing there's no cl closures of businesses or anything of that sort um or at least there wasn't at that time but i did say in that video it is precisely because it suits the government's uh incentives the the, the government's bread is buttered on the side of pretending that the tokyo 2020 olympic games was going to go ahead as planned <laughs> with international visitors and everything and they persisted in that long past the point of uh, absurdity uh, uh into the point of just i, I don't even know what to call it psychedelia <laughs> i don't know how they could have possibly imagined it was going to go ahead. But I did say in that video, precisely when they decide to cancel or postpone the games is when I expect they'll start cracking down. And wouldn't you know it, they they decided about a week ago that they're going to postpone the 2020 games, obviously. And that same day, the very same day that I said that, the Tokyo governor comes out and goes, oh, well, it suddenly seems that there's there's more infections and people aren't being very responsible. You you plebs better behave or we might have to lock down. And every day since then, it's gotten progressively worse because, oh, because they've actually started testing. So, I mean, that was the whole game the whole time is that Japan doesn't, there's nothing going on here. Oh, and now they start testing and suddenly, oh, there's a Tokyo hotspot and we're going to have to lock down. Exactly as I said, every authoritarian structure in the world is incentivized to make this crisis as bad as possible and to lock down their populations because that is what tyrants always want to do. Uh, J the Japanese government was a very special exception that had the opposite incentive for a time, for at least a period of time. But once that incentive went away, now they're just going along with the script. I I'm expecting lockdowns to start here in the next week or two. <sighs> Wonderful. Well, let me jump on to, I know that you're short on time, so let me go to a... We've heard the origin story of this virus, and we've heard conflicting stories. Do you have any alternate things that you found out about it in your research about where this has come from? I do not have anything definitive that I would say at this point. Um, this is the type of thing that... Uh, first of all, is completely beyond my specialty. I have never studied virology. I'm not any sort of accredited do doctor or or scientist of any sort. So I am attempting to adjudicate between different differing expert opinions. And 
like any layman, I, I, I have to sort my way through that. But I, I have a pretty good nose for smelling propaganda. And when I see Nature and other such uh, magazines coming out and saying, oh, this couldn't possibly have been uh, man-made because it's actually too too perfect. It's almost too perfect. Like, we couldn't create such a good bioweapon. That doesn't seem to me to actually be a convincing argument, although that is the at least the way they dumbed it down for the layman. So um, uh, my suspicion would be that this is some sort of bioengineered phenomenon. But I am open to all different positions on this. Uh, I, I really don't know at this point. And this is the type of thing that I'm sure that we could really drill down on. And it could become like, like a 9-11 truth movement, endlessly scrutinizing every detail of what happened on September 11th, 2001. But to a certain extent, that misses the point of what is happening here, I think, because just like 9-11 truth can get caught endlessly examining every single detail of every single frame of every footage that we have and all of that, and endlessly debating about the the pyrotechnics that took place that day, and completely missing the bigger point of what 9-11 was, which was a, a tyrannical takeover of incredible proportions. It was a shot in the arm for every authoritarian in the world, authoritarian structure that suddenly had a new narrative. It could slap on any of its enemies. You are a terrorist, and we are waging a war on terror. And of course, that could be applied to anyone and everyone that was suspect in any way. Well, in the same sense, I'm sure we can and probably will endlessly analyze this virus. But I think that misses the point of what is happening here, which is, again, as much as 9-11 was an authoritarian power grab, this is orders of magnitude bigger than that. This is the most significant event of our lifetimes, not, not in my opinion because of the virus, but because of the reaction, the absolute insanity that is taking place around it, which is an on-its-face, bald-faced power grab, coupled with the, as I've called it, the, the sinking into the greatest depression, the pricking of the bubble. Once again, I do not think that coronavirus is responsible for the derailing of a perfectly healthy economy. I think that what's happening right now is it is being used as an excuse to prick the bubble that has been inflated at the very least over the past decade of central bank fiat funny money nonsense. So uh, it, it's all of these agendas coming together at the same time, and it's it's quite overwhelming. Um, and so from that perspective, I think I, I certainly will continue to delve into the questions of this virus and its origins, but I don't want to miss the bigger picture of what's happening right now, which is a global transformational event. Right. A lot of people are saying this isn't a, plan, a pandemic. This is a plandemic. But at this point, that's not the that's not even the point. The point is what's happening now. And I know a couple of the things that I'm going to ask you, you've gone over in recent videos, but I, I still want to go over them with you. Um, one of the first reactions that I had was just a simple this is going to be a great excuse to institute universal health care, single payer. Um, what do you think the future implications for you know, the medical field going forward is? Uh, I think that probably is true, but I sh should actually stress, although I very much appreciate your accolades about my American history, I am not American. So as a Canadian oh, in Japan, <laughs> I'm Canadian by birth, actually. So I was I was listening to Rush right before this in your honor. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I, I'm sure there are a, a profound implications for the American domestic medical system that will come as a result of this. But I, I see much broader and much darker implications that 
that pertain to the very heart of not just medicine and the way it's practiced, but then how that has implications on the way that we live our lives. We are being constantly told these days that we have entered a new normal, the world has changed forever, and things will never go uh, as they were before. And it doesn't take a genius to see how authoritarian structures will push this in through the the medical with the medical veneer uh, will push a power grab the likes of which we have never seen before just one just one slice one tiny example of that that actually i uh, just saw I, I think it was yesterday i think it was today oh i don't know anymore uh, the days are blending into each other um but i i i saw uh, it was a guardian article uh, precisely, I, I said when I first started to see the way that uh, governments were hyperventilating about this, I did say that one of the things I said was uh, this is going to lead the way towards internal passports, internal checkpoints in countries. And I, I just saw The Guardian coming out with an article, and I can't remember who they were quoting, some medical expert, no doubt, uh, that's saying, yes, uh, one result of this is that we're likely to see internal um, checkpoints where you're going to have to prove that you have immunity to this, this virus or the next one or whatever one they come up with and of, or, or the you know vaccine certificate and then of course you see Bill Gates on his Reddit AMA also saying you know we're going to work on developing digital certificates that will be scannable that you can instantly determine if someone has immunity or has taken the vaccine uh, these sorts of things are going to be embedded in our daily lives from here on out again regardless of what this particular novel coronavirus does or doesn't do in the coming months even if it disappeared from the face of the earth well we can never face this kind of existential threat to humanity ever again. So we're going to have to make sure that we track, surveil, trace, and, uh, and, and ultimately control the movements of every single person on the planet, which is, well, how can you possibly do that without, I don't know, putting in an entire identification structure that's going to be biometrically linked. Oh, well, luckily enough, the World Economic Forum is working on precisely that. They've had a program for the past couple of years they've been kip- kicking around that I can't remember the uh, the acronym they're using, but something about known, known traveler uh, ID, something along those lines, that they're trying to roll out right now. And the uh, World Economic Forum, of course, Davos hosts the Davos conference every year, but also hosted that Event 201 conference that people are talking about in the pandemic uh, scenario, where, of course, as I, I hope your audience knows, back in October of last year, there was a, uh, a conference hosted by the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, and Johns Hopkins uh, uh, that was planning for, well, what would we do in the event of a novel coronavirus coming up and uh, derailing the world economy. And so they've been working on all of the structures for this for a uh, a very long time. And I want to stress that. That's, I think, one of the things people are obviously, I think for obvious reasons, focusing on Event 201 and the possible ways that that could, be, could have been a harbinger of things to come and could have been part of the plan um, to the extent this was a pandemic. But on the broader point, no, these organizations, including the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation and the World Economic Forum and others, have been hosting conferences, writing papers, uh, sponsoring research along the lines of this sort of pandemic possibility for many years now. This didn't just come out of the blue. This has always been one of the ways that an agenda of complete totalitarianism could be forwarded. And lo and behold, a pandemic of some sort happens, or at least we're told it's happening, so they go all guns blazing 
all in on this agenda. Uh, again, whether this was planned, as in this was a planned release of a bioweapon or not, doesn't it doesn't really matter from this perspective in the sense that they are going to use it to push this agenda. And that's the transformation of the medical field, almost the weaponization of the medical field um, in terms of collecting a data and then obviously using that data to control people's movements and behaviors. And that's going to happen on a technological scale that never could have been even imagined before in human history. Well, I'm sure you've seen that like Texas is barring people from Louisiana coming in. Florida says no New Yorkers, no, nobody from Louisiana and Rhode Island is going around searching for people who has escaped from New York and they're trying to send them back. It's, it's an amazing time to be in America and it just doesn't seem, you know, we have that stupid constitution that no one follows. And that just seems to be some kind of interstate commerce law, a clause kind of just destroying that like they always do. I mean, it's, it is wild. I put out a tweet about two and a half, three weeks ago saying we're going to have, we're going to have checkpoints. There, there's going to be checkpoints on the road and on the highways. And it came true. It's just absolutely insane. Going to uh, monetary policy, obviously, this is a perfect time with all of these people being unemployed to institute some kind of universal basic income. But the thing that they were talking about more and they were trying to pass more, uh, trying to pass into the bills was something they were calling the digital dollar. I'm sure you've seen that. I, I haven't had a chance to read the whole bill yet, so I don't even know if they passed that, but what are the implications of this digital dollar? From what I understand, the digital dollar language was removed from the final bill, but it is certainly on the record. And as I discussed with uh, James Evan Pilato in New World Next Week last week, uh, yeah, it's not like this was just inserted as if Nancy Pelosi was up at you know midnight trying to feverishly writing off her 1,400-page bill in the week or two it took to draft it. And, oh, maybe I'll put something in about digital dollars. No, this has been on the planning, on the drawing board for a number of years now, or at least uh, for uh, documentably so for at least half a year. And I uh, do document that in my recent episode on the Greatest Depression, where I talk about the uh, the CFTC, the former chairman and one of the former, I believe, board members of the C CFTC, the uh, Commodities Future Trading Commission, who started a campaign about six months ago to move towards a digital dollar. And they use all the buzzwords that you're supposed to use about cryptocurrency and blockchain. But of course, it has nothing to do with actually decentralized cryptocurrency and everything to do with a federally managed digital uh, wallet that will essentially be tied to your social credit score at some point. Again, you do not need much of an imagination to understand how this is going to work. And that will be the way in which the government, for example, could deliver their checks, their $1,200 checks that are in the mail, guys. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's going to take weeks. Oh, we can't wait for that to be delivered. Hey, I've got an idea. How about if the Federal Reserve, how about if everyone had a digital wallet with their Federal Reserve member bank that the Fed could inject money into directly, and then you get it instantaneously? Well, that sounds great. Well, that that's certainly worth the you know twelve hundred dollar check. I I will absolutely do that, and like just like that, you could have such a system in place. Uh, as I say, I believe that language was removed from the final bill, but it is certainly in the wings, and I'm pretty sure we have not seen the end of the economic calamity that uh, that is taking place here. So I'm sure it will be making its way back, and 
I imagine I don't have to explain to your audience what's so particularly disturbing about that, but the idea, of course, of a quote-unquote cryptocurrency, which of course is nothing of the sort, which is a centrally controlled and administered blockchain tied to your physical identity that will uh, inevitably be tied to your, well, did you get your vaccine? Have you been a good boy? Uh, Well, then we'll inject your funds for this month, is of course the, the nightmare scenario that I I think we've all been advocating for avoiding for the entirety of the time we've been talking about these issues and warning people about. Of course, well, these sound like crazy conspiracy theories until you're in a crisis and suddenly they, well, hey, they've got a solution. This sounds great. And unfortunately, this uh, isn't just coming to the United States. This is coming all around the globe. I I really do. I I have, if not poo-pooed the concept of the global reset, I have often thought, well, it's not going to happen all suddenly all at once. There's going to be a gradual weaning off of the dollar and it will be replaced as a world reserve by probably a basket of currencies or under an SDR rubric or something like that. I've, I've thought along those lines, but actually this really does seem like a global reset moment uh, in the currency level and everything else. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more coordinated actions between the central banks and ultimately the institution of some sort of global coordination uh, monetarily. And uh, again, I think everything that we thought about the economic reality we were living in has just been swept from the table. So it's impossible to say exactly what's going to come out of this, but it's um, it's not difficult to predict that it will be something that will benefit the author- authoritarians who have set up the system and, of course, the banksters who have um, always, in some form or other, controlled the, the monetary system itself. Well, this also seems to be an attempt to take down small businesses. I mean, it seems like a direct attack uh, while empowering the the large corporations, the cronies, you know, Walmart staying open, places like that. But, you know, the small mom and pops are taking a hit. After 2008 and 2009, there was like a mass consolidation in banking, but also in food. I don't think a lot of people realize how many food companies consolidated. How does this consolidation going into the future, how's it going to affect our everyday lives? Uh, well, whatever you call it, crony capitalism or, or whatever you call it, uh, this is the absolute epitome of that. And this the, the inevitable result of that is the consolidation of power into fewer and fewer hands. Uh, there is no doubt that many of the businesses that have been shuttered as a result of this are not going to be reopening. And uh, uh, to the extent that they are replaced, it will be being replaced by franchises of the big corporations who are being bailed out to the tune of trillions uh, with all of the various vehicles, fiscal uh, and uh, debt-based vehicles that the Fed has empowered these special purpose vehicles, the SPVs that they're creating, to essentially buy corporate bonds and prop up the corporate system in every way possible. Of course, that's only for the people who are well-connected enough to be feeding directly at that trough. So there's no doubt there's going to be a massive consolidation of uh, power and wealth in this collapse, exactly as took place in the the Great Depression back in the 30s. Uh, Of course, it was the, the case that wealth wasn't destroyed, per se, during the Great Depression, so much as it 
power and wealth transferred hands and was consolidated by people in positions to to take advantage of the shifting political and economic environment and no less the case in this case and i i heard uh, daniel mcadams of the ron paul institute recently uh relating a story from a friend of his who said well i'm i'm a business owner and i make more than $100,000 a year, but less than Boeing. So I'm going to get precisely nothing out of this stimulus that's uh, supposedly being handed down. And that's that's pretty much the situation. For any small or medium-sized business, they're going to get completely shafted by this. And who's going to benefit? The large corporations, of course. That, that should not be surprising. But as I say, this is the epitome of that system. To a certain extent, though, this is put, pushing on a string. And I think even... Assuming that things unfold the way they are unfolding right now, I think we will be surprised to see even some of the the big corporations that we thought were unshakable uh, being shaken out of the system at this point. And uh, the type of tectonic moves we're going to see are going to be spectacular, I'm sure, pyrotechnically interesting, but uh, devastating for real human lives. And uh, the unemployment and uh, that we're going to see is is going to be off the charts. And that's exactly why I think this is a reset moment. Again, not only for in terms of monetary policy or, or things of that sort, but bringing in new systems, new structures of control, like a UBI, which will be completely universal. But, you know, as long as you meet certain criteria, that will be the strings that will be attached. And that's the, the economy that we're moving into right now. Now, if China knew about this as early as late November, definitely in December, that also means the CIA knew about it. Any any kind of intelligence knew about it. They didn't speak up. Is no, There's going to be no blowback on the CIA. Do you see the world going after China for this, blaming them and then you know, trying to take action against them? Absolutely. I wrote an editorial recently for my international forecaster editorial uh, called uh, This is What World War Three Looks Like. I believe that's what I entitled it, uh, where absolutely one of the narratives that is being inserted uh, into the public consciousness right now is that this is China's fault and we're going to have to blame them. And I, uh, it's amazing to watch the way propaganda can propagate through the public imagination and people who have been had their had their attention focused solely on Russia for the last several years, whether that's people who uh, think that Russia is the font of all evil or people who think, well, Russia is being unfairly maligned and all of that. Now, suddenly, all of the attention is turning to China. And th- now we're seeing people, uh, an incredible amount of hatred and venom and vitriol being stirred up against China. And I place this in a much bigger context. I've done work on this before. For example, I did a podcast episode on China and the New World Order, where I looked at some of the ways that China did not just spring up out of whole cloth in, uh, at the, in the turn of the century and, oh, suddenly became this economic powerhouse. No, there was a, a financial uh, infrastructure that was laid through agreements that were worked out uh, going back from the 70s into the 1980s. Uh, there was a huge concerted uh, plan, essentially, to make China into the economic juggernaut of the 21st century. And I think it is being placed into a similar sort of relationship that the Soviet Union was back in the uh, Cold War era, where it was being propped up by Lend-Lease and other uh, structures that were actually coming from corporate America. Anthony Sutton has done incredible work, or had done, he's passed away now, but uh, did incredible work on the way that the Cold War was essentially engineered by American lend and other transfers of wealth that 
propped up the Soviet system to be the boogeyman that, of course, enabled the military spending at home as well as crackdown on uh, American liberties because of the Red Scare. I think China is being positioned to be that Red Scare boogeyman of the 21st century. So I, I, you're exactly right. I mean, of course, if if China really did know and this really was whatever a a bioweapon released from the Wuhan lab or whatever it was, uh, then the CIA absolutely would have known uh, at that time. In fact, uh, Scott Ritter had a great article up in the American Conservative. I think I think it was published in the American Conservative recently on this subject about there is an entire intelligence branch that is devoted to getting medical intelligence about breaking viruses and other other things that are happening around the world that could affect American security. Where where were they? Surely they knew about what was going on and saw the Chinese response and knew and what was providing this intelligence to the president, but we have no evidence of what they did or did not provide at this point. So clearly there is more to the story there. Um, but I, I, regardless, I, I think the, the, the sort of the pointing of the fingers that China, that this is, this is the Chinese fault and the whipping up of public anger, I see this as a propagandistic opportunity to create the sort of World War III environment that we're being steered into right now. And it's a kind of unfortunate. I have a documentary series that I am working on and the conclusion of that series was going to be, as for several years now, has always been that we are being engineered into the U.S.-China conflict for the 21st century, and I was going to detail that in exquisite detail, as I as I tend to do in my documentaries. But I haven't gotten there yet, and I wish it, it was already out now so that I could show people. But I, I really do see this as being the narrative for the 21st century, and I think it's being unveiled to the public right now. I have two more questions for you. Okay, so I was talking to a gentleman in Switzerland. This was on the the 20th, March 20th. He told me that as of the previous day, they were shut down for a month and they were going to be strict about it. Same thing. Southern Italy was doing the same thing right around the same time. The Northern Italy had been shut down for a while, but the whole country just went down. Do you see any country that's instituting this kind of reaction, the way they're handling this, where they can actually get blowback from the people because of it? I I think blowback is inevitable, um, but it will it be constructive blowback will be the question, because unfortunately, it is an easy game to get the public fighting with each other in various ways. And Certainly, I think in the American context, you can understand the, the ways that the public has been utterly divided against it itself to the point where any collapse of society, I don't see organized resistance against the authorities so much as I expect there to be widespread violence and chaos at the street level, streets uh, filled with people fighting neighbor, neighbors fighting neighbors rather than mounting any sort of resistance to sort of National Guard or military tyranny of any sort. So... Um, there may be places in the world where that is more likely to happen. Um, but I, uh, certainly we are entering a period of chaos. And unless there is some miracle and this all goes away in a few weeks, but uh, assuming it plays out the way we are being told it is going to play out, where at the very least we'll be locked down for a couple of months and then let out for a month and then locked down again and let out again and locked down again, there's no way that will fail to cause widespread distress and uh, widespread 
looting and panic and chaos and violence. Um, as there are already reports coming out of Sicily right now that there is looting and other things going on and, and it's getting more and more desperate as people are running out of money to even buy basic materials and, and food and what have you. So there are, there's already those reports that are starting to come and this is really just the beginning of what we are being told to prepare for. And can you imagine how much worse that's going to be in America? So uh, will there be violence and chaos and bloodshed? I have no doubt, unfortunately. But will it be organized uh, against the authoritarian power structures? Maybe in pockets here and there, but on a wider scale, it's difficult to see at this point. Well, that was my last question. Uh, opinion is, is there anything positive that can come out of this? I mean, will can there be, you know, part of a state or a state that says enough of this, we're not going to put up with this, you know, so we're going to decent, we're going to use radical decentralization, even secession to just say, you can't do this to us. Um, and I'm talking from an American perspective. And I mean, even from European perspective, you know, EU, this is a great time for people to start breaking away from the EU. Do you see any kind of positives coming out of this long term? I am not going to be falsely positive and optimistic about this. I realize it is a very long shot at this point, barring some sort of miracle. But the only possible ultimate solution to the things that are happening right now is radical, widespread decentralization. Decentralization of absolutely everything, um, from food production to, to monetary systems to uh, the, the economy generally. Uh, everything has to be decentralized because that is the only thing that ultimately takes the power away from the authoritarians who are on this power grab right now. And generally, I would, I would at least be optimistic in the sense that, yes, there are certainly dark times in human history where authoritarianism and tyranny are on the rise, but then there are times when humanity breaks three, free and there's renaissance and, and things move again. Um, and I would like to say, well, maybe it's just part of the cycle. And even if we're heading into the dark times, there will be better times on the other side of that. Unfortunately, we are also now living in technocratic times where the technology of tyranny is such to potentially enslave humanity forever or it even change what humanity means now that we're talking about tinkering with the genome and other such things uh technology for uh keeping a population docile has advanced so much far beyond what even aldous huxley was warning about 50 years ago when he was giving uh speeches on the ultimate revolution uh, talking about the, the the sort of tools that tyrants would have to play with in the future to keep their their populations docile. Well, now we're half a century beyond that, and or even more at this point, and that's uh, that's scary to contemplate. So, unfortunately, if we really enter into a dark time of authoritarianism, it is difficult to imagine humanity emerging from the other side in the same way. And that's why I I take this as seriously as any existential threat that humanity has faced. I really do think that the coming generation really will decide the game. Uh, at any rate, it, it could be locked down forever, both physically and, and, and uh, metaphorically. Uh, or we could hopefully pry some of this back from the tyrants. But the only way to do that is through de decentralization. That's why that message has never been more important. And Perhaps, perhaps more people are receptive to hearing these ideas now. I've been 
trying to ring the alarm on this in various ways for several years now and have not received a lot of enthusiasm from people out there about the idea of of uh, decentralization of the money supply or or food or or entertainment or really anything um but uh, as i say it's truly the only way to to combat the the growing technological tyranny that we're facing so it's it's now or never either people start investing in the actual solutions to this or it's game over and i i don't want to i don't want to soft sell it or put some sort of false positivity on it because this is truly a fight for the existence of free humanity where can people find your work james I'm at CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. And I have literally thousands of hours of audio and video and hundreds and hundreds of articles that I've written over the past 13 years now. It's all 100% completely available for free. And I hope that people who are new to my work, haven't heard me before, will at least use that website as a resource uh, of information, at the very least to help you find links to other information, because I always try to put links and source documents in, in my show notes so that people can find the original documents and things that I'm citing. I think that's an important part of what it is that the, well, I, ho- I hope to be modeling one of the ways that we can uh, help to decentralize the spread of information away from the uh, the information monopolies that have existed in mass media in, in times past towards a more open source approach. So that's what I t- do at CorbettReport.com. I hope people will at least check it out. Keep up the amazing work that you do, and I want to thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me on.